Welcome back, and let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. I thank you for the gift of our lives and our faith. I thank you for the blessings of prayer, the blessings of the Catholic tradition of prayer. I thank you for the scriptures that teach us how to pray. Help us, Lord, to grow in our own union with you, to grow in our own sense of prayerfulness. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of our Catholic faith. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it's great to be with you today. I'm going to be diving into the scriptures and our Catholic tradition on the the development of a prayer life. My, my goal is sincerely and truly to help you develop your own union with Jesus Christ, the deepening, transforming union that comes from being with Jesus, experiencing his love, encountering the 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 power of the Lord, his presence, uh, to to give you hope, to give you courage, to to give you a vision for like what life is all about. And one of the great gifts that we've been given as Catholics, and I don't think we always appreciate it, it's the Catholic understanding of the process of redemption. And so what do I mean by that first? I, what I mean is that when you think about the way in which we as Catholics understand growth in our life of faith, growth in our own um, response to Jesus as being his disciple, you can break it down into to three dimensions, right? There's the dimension of creation. And let's talk about the new creation that comes uh, into our lives as children of God through baptism. So there's creation. Then there is the entering into Christ's passion, death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. That's called the Paschal Mystery. And it's the, the mystery of Easter, the mystery of the passing over of Christ from death to life, is something that he did for you, on your behalf and for your sake, so that you could enter into, you could be plunged into that mystery, and that's what happens through baptism, is you're plunged into that mystery so that you would go from not just the, the state of being created and then having fallen from grace, fallen from that original state of union with God through original sin that we inherit and through personal sin that we ourselves participate in and, and perform, that the Lord intends to set us free from the bondage that is in our lives to sin and to the consequences of sin, the fallen nature, the tendencies of fallen nature, and the ultimate consequences of a sinful life, which is separation from God here on earth and ultimately. And it's unimaginable to, to ponder the reality of hell, the unending torment, the unending terror of being separated from God in that suffering of hell. And so we are freed from that through Christ undergoing this death on the cross, his burial, his being among the dead, and then his rising from the dead and returning to the Father. And then there's the pouring forth of the Spirit upon our lives for the third stage, which is the stage of sanctification. That stage of sanctification where we not only live in this newness of life through some kind of external conformity, but as new creations, as elevated creations were elevated beyond the status of being mere creatures, we share in the very life of God. We share in God's own life. We share in divinity. And so you are called holy, a holy one, one who is anointed, Christian, one who is anointed by the gift of the Holy Spirit, poured forth by the Father and the Son into your heart, and so you can cry out, Abba, Father, Abba, Daddy, Father. It's, it's, a, it's a way of speaking 
to the first person of the Trinity that we do from within the position that is ours in the, and within the second person of the Trinity, the, the Son of God, we who are members of the body of Christ. And the third person of the Trinity dwells in us as in a temple to make us holy, to grow that sense of sharing in the divine life so that we know we no longer live merely human lives, but we live lives that are expressing, that are sharing in the very life of God. And so growth as a disciple is growth in that transforming union that is ours with Jesus that turns us to the Father and through which the Holy Spirit lives vitally and vibrantly within us. This union with God is our sanctification, our becoming ever more fully living and profoundly living this transforming union with the one who is God. Now, it's that dimension of life, that dimension whereby we become saints. We're called upon to become, you're called to become a saint. You, 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 you. You're called to become a saint. That's a primary mission in your life, brothers and sisters. The universal call to holiness, the church calls it. That call that we have to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, all our souls, all our minds, and all our strength. To love our neighbor as ourselves. To love our neighbor with the very love of Christ. That's our call. That's all of our calls. And it's called the perfection of charity, right? Perfectione caritatis. It's the perfection of, of charity, the perfection of divine love in us. The perfection of charity comes when God's love conquers us. Ooh, I love that phrase, that God's love will conquer in you all that resists him if you give him time, if you give him space. You will come to know the living God as the loving God, as the God who is with you, as the God who is guiding you, as the God who is powerfully at work in you and through you in this world. You are called to become a saint. You're called to become who you already are through your baptism, a child of God, and to let that shine forth in this world. If that's all you do with your life, you have lived a glorious life, a life that heaven cheers, a life that heaven applauds, a life that heaven looks upon with, a, with great joy and celebration. It's this cloud of witnesses in Hebrews chapter 12 that cheer us on, or chapter 13. It's one or the other, 12-1 or 13-1. <laughs> this great cloud of witnesses, the saints and angels of heaven that look down upon us who are living in time, in this moment of time, calling us to strip from us all that clings to us as we run the race of faith after the manner of Jesus. We pursue Jesus in our lives. Okay, that's a lot of religious language. It's a lot of theology. There's a bunch of scripture in there too. But there's something that I think we Catholics don't always appreciate. And it popped up recently from a book I was given about holiness from the, the, the theology of the Reformed Protestant tradition. And you know, it was an interesting book. It was, it was a book that was saying, we're, we're called to be holy. I like that. Hey, I'm interested in this. And our call to be holy is going to become manifest in every aspect of our conduct, right? So 1 Peter 1, verse 13. Uh, be, holy your, uh, uh, be holy yourselves in every aspect of your life after the manner of the Holy One who called you. Be holy for the Lord our God is holy. And so there's an emphasis on the external manifestation of conformity to a Christian way of life, to the ideal that Christ established for us. But the weakest chapter in the book, by far, was their attempt, the author's attempt, to speak to the Reformed tradition and its understanding of sanctification. Because there's a way in which the Protestant tradition, and again, I'm speaking very broadly when I say it like that, uh, but many Protestant traditions do not have a developed understanding of sanctification, at least not one that is traced back to 
that understanding that I just shared with you, that Catholic understanding of sanctification, um, which is traced back to the scriptures and to the fathers of the church, etc. But one of the things that uh, certain streams of the Reformed theology did was a certain combining, a conflation, a combining together of redemption and sanctification. So that redemption was Christ covering over the sinful human nature. But the true transformation of that sinful nature is something that happens in heaven. And so there's a way in which we are called to live by God's grace in accordance with the nature of Christ, the, the way of living Christ's life. But the inner union, the transforming union, the profound elevation of that nature into the new status of, of new creation as child of God, that's not as developed. It's not as developed. It was the weakest chapter in the book. And it, and it made me both sad because it, there's a way in which what can happen easily is a way in which we look at Holiness is something that is merely external conformity, not merely, that focuses, first of all, on external conformity. Are you conforming in external behaviors with Christ-honoring way of living? And, and of course, that's important for Catholics, but from Catholics, there's this inside-out approach. There's this live in accord with your nature, live in accord with your new nature, that you are a new creation, and let that come forward. Let Christ conquer in you all that's resisting the manifesting of your new nature. Well, enough of that. I want to take a look at how we as Catholics today live out the gift of our tradition, the gift that we are children of God. And I'm doing this six-part series. I really hope you'll come. Come and check it out. If you are in the Spokane, Coeur d'Alene area, I would love to have you here. I would love to have you at St. Mary's it's in Spokane Valley. It's just off the highway exit 291B, Sullivan Road. And it's, so it's not far off the highway. And it's on Monday nights from 6.30 to 8.30. If you are unable to make it, if you're on the west side, if you're listening in the Puget Sound area, or if you're listening in Yakima, if you're listening in, down, in, uh, down in, uh, in Olympia or up in Everett, or if you're out on the, on the seacoast, you can listen to the talks free of charge. You can listen to them. Uh, I post them on my YouTube channel, uh, My Catholic Faith TV, My Catholic Faith TV, and then just type in Dr. Tom Curran, and you'll get access to the talks. We're also posting them on my Facebook page, My Catholic Faith. No, I love My Catholic Faith with Dr. Tom Curran. Uh, and you'll get access to these talks that I'm giving uh, on Monday nights on a Catholic understanding of prayer and how we can go deeper into prayer. That's my hope for you. How are you going to find sustenance? How are you going to find strength? How are you going to discover the paths to the power and presence of Jesus Christ at work in your life if you're not going deeper into prayer? So my hope is to help you access some of the rich aspects of our, of our tradition on prayer so that you can, well, maybe overcome some of the obstacles that happen when we try to pray. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I hear about I should be giving a few minutes, 20 minutes, longer every day. But what would I do? These are important questions. It's hard to know. How do I get started? And these are themes that I do talk about uh, now and again on Sound Insight, I bring up different aspects of the, uh, of the Catholic Church's like daily, how do you have a daily prayer life, things like that. But I'm going deeper into themes. So like two weeks ago, I talked about um, the Catholic understanding of praise and worship and, and focusing there on the first stage of prayer, which is called the discursive stage. It's the stage of purgation, where we're purging our senses of those attachments to the things of this world. These things that we cling to, these things that we're drawn to, these things that make us desire things other than God, and that 
turning to God becomes an effort. Turning to prayer becomes something that we resist. We do with reluctance. And so where can we access this first stage of prayer and different aspects of the first stage of prayer to help us in that purgation of the senses? Well, I focused on the gift of praise. We're up against a break. When I come back, I'll talk about a little more of that and then what I talked about last Monday. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. It's always great to be with you. I had some folks on Monday at St. Mary's um, after the prayer meeting we were talking and at St. Mary's and uh, they were saying, oh, we heard you and Carrie talk about the gift of disruption. And man, you put it all out there. <laughs> yeah, we did. Yep. And, and there's a reason why we do that. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can listen to Friday programs of, of the program involves Carrie, my wife, typically. And so typically she's able to be on with me and, and we're talking about faith and family. And one of the things that we feel called to do, and uh, it's, it's to be more transparent. It's to be willing to bring out into the open those parts of our lives where things aren't all perfect to come on to the program and to attempt to offer uh, insight to help you see into your life, your marriage, into your own attempts to foster faith in your kids and realize that it's messy, it's broken, it's not easy. But you know what? God's in the middle of all that. And when you're making intentional efforts to pursue the Lord, you can expect to be attacked spiritually. You can also be expected to uh, be challenged and, and, and be purified from those parts of your own life where uh, it's difficult. It's difficult to break a pattern. It's, it's difficult to uh, change the habit of, or the, the typical lane that we stay in in conversation. But the Lord wants to do something. And, and wouldn't it be nice if the Lord, when he's doing something in our married lives, it was always just sort of parachuting down peacefully a grace. And that you and your spouse gratefully receive that grace. And there's a new light and you hear the angels singing and, and all of a sudden there's something new that's there. A new way of talking, new attitudes, new ways of seeing, new ways of relating to things. Yeah, that's not typically how it works. I'm not saying there aren't the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. God moves in these extraordinary, miraculous ways and brings about those kind of conversions. But the ordinary path, the ordinary path of growth and holiness and transformation is going to involve the willingness to be humble, the willingness to seek and to give forgiveness, uh, to give mercy, to cling to hope, to cling to Jesus, as, as a source of hope when, when things are hard, and uh, to not take ourselves too seriously, that virtue of hilarity, that virtue of taking seriously that the Lord is, is doing a mighty work, even when we don't see it as a mighty work, even when we don't uh, believe or, or uh, don't accept that somehow this is from God, but to be able to say, God, whether or not this is from you, you can use this, and you can bring something glorious out of it. It's either what you will, and therefore it's going to be used for my sanctification and growth and holiness, or it's not your will, and you'll do something greater. You'll redeem it. You'll bring it beyond. You'll, you'll bring it through death. 
and you'll resurrect something from this. Now, all of those things that I just shared, and, and, and if you want to listen for yourself, you can go to mycatholicfaith.org and you can listen to the podcast uh, and just look up for, look up to the gift of disruption. Or you can just go to Apple Podcasts and look up the Dr. Tom Curran podcast and you can uh, listen to that podcast and send me feedback. Carrie loves getting uh, feedback. We love to hear uh, what your thoughts are, your questions are for us. Um, love to incorporate those things into the program. Always want it to be better. We want it to be a blessing to you. I just shared all of that. Why? Because we wouldn't be able to experience disruption as a gift from God unless we were praying. We wouldn't be able to experience the trials and difficulties that come from living together as a husband and a wife, or just living together with as a family, parents and children. There are daily trials daily difficulties, daily tribulations. And then we go from our own home where we want things to be the best they can be to go out into the world, out into the workplace. And it's hard. You know, you're, you, you get a you. It's not uncommon. It's very typical to be in a situation where it's just hard. It's hard to maintain a spirit of faith, a spirit of godliness, especially if you're in the midst of people or or situations that are stressful and um, not always godly in speech and attitudes and behaviors and in dynamics. And so, how how do we not only survive but thrive? Right to use that cutesy phrase, not just survive but thrive. It's prayer. It's prayer. It's prayer. And even when I say that, that's not even precise. It's God. It's God. It's God. It's union with God. It's experiencing the presence and power of God at every moment. And how does that happen? Through praying. This is why it's so critical for you to be praying, for me to be praying. He who flees prayer flees all that is good. The one who prays will surely be saved. The one who does not pray will surely be damned. These are two doctors of the church, St. John of the Cross and St. Alphonsus de Liguori. Why would, we, why would we flee from God? That's what we're doing if we avoid prayer. Why would we ignore God? Well, how do we get focused? Praise. Praise will help us be focused. How do we go deeper into that communion with God? Praying with Scripture. Praise and praying with Scripture. Those are the two that... I've talked about so far on these Monday evenings. And again, you go to my Facebook page. You can go to Tom Curran, Tom and Carrie Curran. I Love My Catholic Faith by Dr. Tom Curran. You can go to the YouTube channel, My Catholic Faith TV with Dr. Tom Curran, all these different platforms, and you can get access to these talks to go way deeper than I'm going to go here. But highlighting some of the important points here is also, I think, helpful. So on Monday, I took the opportunity to focus on the reality of Scripture, and how do we pray with Scripture? There's so many books out there that offer uh, Scripture studies, offer uh, scriptural reflections, things of that nature. But I've found that there's there's a gap. There's a gap that I tried to address on Monday, and, and I'll lay it out for you here now. Um, about the reality of praying with Scripture and what does that look like. People throw out the phrase Lexio Divina and all that, but I'm going to map out for you some of the reasons why and some of the ways in which you can learn to relate to Scripture in a new way and the power that that can have in your daily life. So let's get started. So I'm going to begin with a principle drawn from the writings of St. John Paul II. I'm never going to tire of repeating it because it has so many applications to our lives that it's, it's hard to overstate it. And he says it in a, a very humble little chapter, very quick, in, at the beginning of his book, Sources of Renewal, which is an attempt to bring the teaching of the Second Vatican Council to bear in the lives of the people of Krakow in Poland. Remember, St. John Paul II was a bishop 
of Krakow in Poland when he was sent to, or when he participated in the Second Vatican Council. And so everyone, all the bishops had the task of bringing that teaching alive. And and here's what he says. This is a a paraphrase of what you're going to get in the introduction and first chapter. It's that how you see things shapes how you relate to them. And how you relate to them shows up in how you behave. How I see shapes how I relate, shapes how I behave. And the language that he uses is awareness, attitude, and action. Sometimes he'll say consciousness. So how we see something, how it lives in our minds, how it's conscious, how we are conscious of something in terms of the way it lives, the idea of of something lives in our minds, shapes how we relate to it. That's our attitude. It shapes our attitude towards things. And then the attitude that we have and how we see, and, and therefore the attitude that we have shows up in how we act, how we behave towards that same thing. And I got to tell you that that simple distinction has profound applications for marriage, for parenting, for an individual's relationship with God. How you see God shapes how you relate to God, shapes your behavior and prayer towards God. How you see your job is going to shape how you have an attitude at your work, and that's going to manifest itself in all your behaviors. How you see your own life is going to show up in your attitude that you have towards your own life, and that's going to manifest itself in your behaviors. You got it? So very important. How I see the scriptures, how I see them, is going to show up and impact how I relate to them, how I relate to the Bible. And that's going to manifest itself in my behavior, my actions I take towards the Bible. And I know that that this can seem like a really abstract idea, but it's so very concrete and it never really gets called out that so much writing done about the scriptures fails to take account of that distinction. And so you end up having lots of folks writing books about the Bible as if it is a book to be studied. You have a Bible study. You have books that are studies of different books of the Bible, studies of different themes in the Bible. So when you think about a Bible as a book to be studied, it's, I read the book to learn more about the author. Not a bad thing. In fact, it's a very important thing. Gee, it's absolutely critical, in fact, to learn more about God, to read the inspired word of God. And so one way of relating, one attitude we can have towards the Bible that's going to shape our behavior towards that Bible, one of the attitudes we have, one of the ways of relating to the Bible is to see it as a book to be studied, is to see it as a book that has critical insights, revelation, God-revealed truths about who he is, who we are, and how we are to live. So, yeah, studying the Bible is critical. But what it does is it gives us a way of relating to that Bible that is, it's an object that has data, and you can analyze it, you can dissect it, you can pick it apart in order to get to the insights and the information. And frankly, it's very exhilarating to study the Bible and come to new insights, we can feel that our faith is just advancing and coming alive when we study the Bible. I'm going to give you examples of that in a minute. But let's talk about the second way. There's another way of relating to the Bible, not as a book that I read to learn more about the author, but rather as a manual for how to live. So it's a it's a book that I look to because it gives me a vision or principles and insights and, and practices that show me how to live. So it's a book I read. I read the book in order to follow the way of the author. I want to follow the way of Jesus. Jesus is the way. And where do I learn about his way? I'm going to go to his book And so you have lots of writing out there, lots of books that unconsciously see the book as providing Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm sure you've heard that. Basic instructions before leaving Earth. So the way that I see the book is it provides insights, a vision of life, practices, principles that I am to follow if I'm going to follow the way of the author. And so, yeah, I can study the book. That's all very helpful. And for some, it's very invigorating. But really, it's about living. It's about imitating Christ. And so I read the scriptures to imitate Christ. And so it can be the Sermon on the Mount, where he's giving me a vision for how to live. Or it is uh, the moral teaching of Paul. Or maybe it's, for instance, a vision of life that... I'm called to make my own. So for instance, um, uh, a particular passage of scripture that shows an application to life is very, very powerful. It's from Sirach chapter two. I'm just gonna read it to you because you'll, you'll get a sense of what I mean, that the scriptures are a, a manual for living. I, if I want to follow the way of the author, I read the book in order to follow the way of the author. If that's how I see the Bible, it's giving me truths to apply to my life. Well, here's the truth about life. Sirach chapter 2. I'm not going to read the whole thing, just the first six verses. My son, when you come to serve the Lord, prepare yourself for trials. Be sincere of heart and steadfast, undisturbed in time of adversity. Cling to him, forsake him not, for thus will your future be great. Accept whatever befalls you. In crushing misfortune, be patient. For in fire, gold is tested. And worthy men in the crucible of humiliation. Trust God and he will help you. Make straight your ways and hope in him. Boy, I could talk for an hour, breaking that passage open, because it's given a vision of life, a vision of life that I can like use as a map out. It can map out my life. And I can begin to say, as I read this scripture, it's showing me what it means to follow the way of the author, to follow the way of God. So that's the second way of seeing the scriptures. When we come back, I'm going to dig into the third. Welcome back to the program. How I see shapes how I relate, shapes how I behave. My con my awareness shapes my attitude, which gives rise to my actions. We're talking today about how we see the scriptures and how we see them shapes how we relate to them, which then shapes how we act in relationship to the Bible. And so because we believe that the Bible is the word of God and not just a human word, that can fundamentally impact how we see it. I mean, it fundamentally does impact how we see it. We don't just put it on the shelf next to other books because it's unlike other books. It's less like other books than it is like other books because it is inspired by God. The author is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's using human authors, but this is the Word of God. And as such, it's a book to be studied so that we can learn more about the author. And there are lots of good Bible studies out there. There's, it's a book, it's a manual for living so we can follow the way of the author. But there's a third way of seeing the Bible. And when you see the Bible like this third way, it's going to fundamentally shift how you relate to the Bible and then fundamentally impact how you behave or act in relationship to the sacred scriptures. And it's this. I read the book to meet the author. I don't read the book to learn more about the author. I don't read the book in order to find out how to live according to the way of the author. No, I read the book because it's there that I encounter the true, real presence of the author. The, the author of the Word of God, the Word of God himself, Jesus, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, the Blessed Trinity, is encountered is met. There's communication. There's communing. There's a sense of presence. There's a sense of power in the scriptures. I read the book to meet the author. So all of a sudden now you can stop and think, whoa, that's a different thing. 
It's a very different thing as compared to if I open the book and I'm going to do a study. I'm going to study it. It's an object, and I'm going to dissect it. I'm going to analyze. I'm going to compare different sections. Uh, the second way of, of looking at it is, is, is a manual of truths to be applied. Let me find out this situation in my life and see what truths that Jesus taught are supposed to apply to my life. No, no, I, I'm actually going to the scriptures because I'm desperate to hear from God. I'm going to the scriptures because I want to be fed on the presence of the Lord. I want to dwell with Jesus. Now, this third way of seeing the scriptures makes the scriptures a lot more like the Eucharist, doesn't it? You you see, the Eucharist, as you know, is the real and true presence of Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity. You come into the you come into the, the church, there's a tabernacle, you genuflect. You're acknowledging the presence of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One of the things that the Second Vatican Council, in its document on the Word of God, Dei Verbum, which is a dogmatic constitution on the Word of God. So it's a, uh, it's, it's, it's the highest level. It's the highest level of, of teaching. Um, a I'm sorry, uh, Dei Verbum, yeah, on the Word of God, but it, it's uh, the Dogmatic Constitution on Divine Revelation. And so it teaches that we are to show reverence to the Scriptures. We are to revere the Bible itself. We are to revere the book in a manner that is analogous to the the the. the Documents use a phrase, equal sentiments. There are to be these sentiments of reverence to the scriptures as the word of God, because in the scriptures, I encounter Jesus, not in the same manner or form as I encounter him in the Eucharist, but he's truly present there in the scriptures, there when I read the scriptures. And so I think that this is a dimension of, uh, of, of Scripture, uh, relating to Scriptures as Catholics, that's been underemphasized. We have not appreciated this. We have not focused on this. And so many efforts that have been made in the Church in the last 50 years to foster a revival of um, utilization of the Bible in the daily life of Catholics— has focused primarily on the first two, not even a question. It's focused principally on Bible studies, where you learn tremendous things when you study the scriptures. You use different methods of analysis, historical critical methods, understanding who was the author of the book, what was his life circumstance, when was he writing, to whom was he writing, what were the questions that that they were facing when they wrote this, what were the dynamics in the community that he was writing to, uh, literary criticism, what, what were the particular languages, uh, what was the language that was employed, what, what does this word mean, what are the, what, what's the range of meaning of this word or this phrase, uh, references to uh, elements that are historical, historical references in the life of the people of Israel, uh, allegorical references, things that you see in the Old Testament that are referred to that are now fulfilled in the New Testament. Uh, you can see uh, textual analysis uh, where there are different uh, different versions of these texts. And so we understand not only the, the flow of the text and the language that's used, um, but the type of literature. Like what, what are literary critics uh, going to show us about the particular form of writing that was employed in this parable versus this moral teaching versus this historical account? Different genres of, of, of writing. Uh, and then... What's the um, what? What are the history of the different codexes, the different codices, the the different versions of this that make you figure out? Well, what was the exact word that was said here? Sometimes it's like, well, certain certain uh, ex- existing texts of these that go way back don't have that phrase at the end. So is that really part of the inspired word of God or not? 
So all of these different modes of study lead us to profound insights into who God is and to what Jesus was teaching. So examples that I used in the teaching on Monday night were things like the word gospel. Jesus says, I came to bring good news. He didn't use the word gospel. Now, the people of the time who heard that word gospel, good news, they weren't just thinking good news as compared to bad news, good news as compared to uh, amazing news. No, good news was a literary type. It was a type of writing. Good news was that type of writing that indicated that what was being announced came from the king, came from the ruling authority. So an announcement that was brought to the Jewish people and was identified by the herald, by the messenger, as this is a writing that comes from your ruler. This is a document that comes from your king. This is an announcement that comes from the one in charge. That, just whatever the content was, was called good news. So the the gospel, the good news that was coming from the king might be your taxes have been raised. Uh, there is now an inability for you to bring your family to this place over here during these times or these days, right? Or whatever. In other words, even if the announcement, the content of the announcement was negative, was harsh, it was still called gospel. It was still called good news. Why? Because of the origin of the announcement the origin of the content. It came from the king. So Jesus comes and says, I am bringing you a gospel. I'm bringing you an announcement that comes from the king. Well, who, who's the king he's talking about? Of course, it's God. I'm, I'm bringing you an announcement from God, the one who is truly the one in charge. So listen to the announcement that Jesus brings. I bring you good news. The kingdom of God. Ooh, kingdom, king, God. God is the king. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here now. It's breaking in with my presence on site. I'm showing up. This is good news. And now I'm going to give you the necessary response when you hear the announcement, God's coming, God is here, God is breaking into you right now, repent and believe. Turn your life around and follow completely without reserve, Jesus. So that's just one simple example of saying, oh wow, I've heard the word gospel for my whole life, but I never knew the rich meaning that that word gospel had, other than knowing that it meant good news. That's an example of study. Back in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today. I'm, I'm sharing with you the, the gift of praying with Scripture. And the fundamental reason why I believe we have not been very good as Catholics at fostering the idea of praying with Scripture in the depth of what the Lord is offering to us as a gift, it's because of the writings that we've read, the typical writings that we read, are writings that focus on study or life application. They focus on breaking open a text and helping you gain insights, like the one I just shared about the word gospel. And, and so you can read common, um, commentary, com- common um, commentaries on daily scriptures, And they're often doing what? They're often saying, at the time of Jesus, when he said this or did this, this is what it meant. And then they might even go further and say, and if that's what it meant then, let's talk about how it applies now. And that's life application. And so the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has many moral teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in those uh, those chapters, He's putting forward an ideal, not just to his listeners then, 
but to us as well. And so we are being called upon through many of these commentaries to do what? To say, well, if that's what it meant then, let me see how I can conform my life now to those writings, to that teaching of Jesus. But what has happened much less is this third way of seeing, relating to, and acting in relationship to the scriptures. And that is praying with the scriptures because I have this expectant faith that when I open the book, I'm going to encounter Jesus. This is not some kind of wild theory I'm making up. This is in the scriptures itself. This is in our Catholic tradition. And it's also a way that you can pray here, now, and today. It's going to give you a gift in your own spiritual life. Get a Bible. Make reading the Bible a daily activity for yourself, even if it is through one of those daily readers to help you uh, gain access to the readings of the day at Mass. Okay? So, um, for instance, in the scriptures, in our tradition, uh, and in, uh, in, in your own experience of being Catholic, I want to show you how this idea that scripture is a place of encounter with the Word of God, with Jesus. I just listened to these beautiful passages. So, the one that is probably most commonly referenced is from uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. So, if you listen to Hebrews 4 12, you get this powerful understanding of the Word of God and what we ought to expect when we read the scriptures as the Word of God. Indeed, God's Word is living. It's living and effective. Sharper than any two-edged sword, it penetrates and drives, uh, it divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the reflections and thoughts of the heart. Nothing is concealed from Him, from Him, the Word of God. Nothing is concealed from God. All lies open and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must render an account. Is that your experience when you read the scriptures? Do you feel like that you're opening the Bible and you're being exposed? There's this sense of complete transparency to the word, to Jesus, that through these words, I'm going to come into contact with the living word of God, with the living Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to communicate to me. He's going to cut to the quick. He's going to cut deep into the heart and expose things about our lives a passage that I've found very helpful in my own praying with the scriptures is from the book of Revelation, chapter 3. It's where Jesus says, beginning at verse 21 or 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will enter his house and have supper with him and he with me. There, let's say it again. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will enter his house and have supper with him and he with me. I, um, I have the Bible that I'm, I'm, I'm holding in my hands right now is over 30 years old. It's a Bible I've prayed with for over 30 years. And I've got like three covers. I've had three, I've gone through three covers. <laughs> and on one of my covers, when I had it recovered, I had put on the front in sort of gilded writing in the bottom right-hand corner, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I put that on the cover of my Bible. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Because of Revelation 3.20. And it was so meaningful because I thought of praying with the scriptures, praying with my Bible, in that vein of through the Bible and praying with the Bible, taking time in prayer, reading the scriptures, is like getting a knock at the door. When you get a knock at the door, you go open it. What do you expect? What do you expect when you hear a knock at the door? You go over to your door and you open it up. Super simple. You expect to see someone. 
And it's so funny. I've, I've used this example for 20, over 20 years. And someone laughed and smiled at the end of the talk and said, because um, I said, of course, you expect to see someone. You'd be shocked if you didn't see someone. The expectation is someone's knocking at the door. You open the door. Someone is there. You're shocked if you don't meet somebody there. And his his little cutesy humor was, well, unless you just got a package dropped off and they're driving away in their FedEx or UPS or, or Amazon and you got a box at your feet. <laughs> All right, wise guy. But the expectation is if there's a knocking at the door, you open it, you're going to meet someone. Well, what if your taking time to pray with the scriptures is not you taking an initiative to reach out to God. What if you picking up the Bible and opening it prayerfully is not your initiative, but your response to the initiative of the Lord who's knocking on the door of your life? He's knocking on the door of your right now. He's knocking on the door of your today. He's knocking on the door of your heart and he wants to come in and dwell with you. He wants to commune with you. He wants you to know his presence he wants you to know his power. He wants you to know his nourishing ability to nourish you with what you most need. That can happen when you pray with the scriptures. That's what you should expect. So when I put, behold, I stand at the door and knock on the cover of my Bible, it was meant for me to be a reminder that when I pick up that book as part of my prayer time, I should say a prayer. And this is the Catholic tradition of this. You say a prayer to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you who inspired the authors of these books to write what they wrote, inspire me now, the reader of these words, to encounter the living God. You who inspired the writers of these words, inspire me now, the reader, so that I would encounter them as the word of God. That's what I want. And so I would then just ponder and say, okay, when I open up this Bible now and I start to read, it's like me opening the door because Jesus is knocking. He's knocking, and my opening is my response to his knocking. Did you hear that? He is knocking on the door of your right now. And how do you encounter him? How do you hear from him? How do you get some kind of communication from him? Open your Bible. Open your Bible. Now, it's not Bible bingo. I'm not talking about, all right, Lord, speak to me now. And you just cut it open, put your finger down, say, this is what God's saying to me. No. That's magic. That's not what I'm talking about. I am saying, however, that you can take, for instance, the scripture of the day and like the reading or the gospel that will be read at Mass today, or you can take a book of the Bible, like, for instance, the Gospels. Take a gospel. Take the Gospel of Mark and just start to read it prayerfully. And when you read it prayerfully, what I'm saying to you is, Say a prayer and say, Lord, as I, as I read this story of your life, please be close to me. Come close to me. Speak to me in this scripture that I'm reading. Read it through. You, you even say a simple prayer. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Speak like Samuel. Sp speak, Lord, your servant is listening. You're reading, but you're in a listening mode. You're letting the Lord take the initiative. And read through, let it be quiet, and then go back and read it through again and, and try to notice. Have that, 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 that gift of noticing what word, what phrase jumped out at you. And when you get that, you then come to say, Lord, what are you saying to me through this? I'm going to capture this word. Maybe you write it down in a journal. Lord, what are you saying to me through this word? All right, I'm out of time today. I'm going to pick up on this. I want to help you go deeper into your own relationship with the Lord by learning to relate to the scriptures as a place of encounter with Jesus Christ to enrich your faith, your encounter with him and his presence and power at work in and through your life. Join me tomorrow and God bless your day.